Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yes, it is Thursday. Yes, it is the Two Shot Podcast. You are here. I am here. We are all together. It's good, right? Lovely. How was your week? Yeah? Um, Now, this week's episode, I'll be honest, it was rather more exciting for me to record than anybody else, and I'll tell you for why. As you know, for the past year or so, it's all been over the internet, remote, Zoom, Skype, you name it, I've been doing it. But this Saturday, I got up, and I was making him breakfast, and I said, look, um, I've got somebody coming around to the house about tennis, so are you all right just to, to play upstairs for an hour, or you can, you know watch the start of a film for an hour while I just record downstairs. Because that's right, I was having an actual living, breathing human being around the dining room table. I could make tea, I went and bought some pastries. It was uh, it was so exciting to look into the whites of somebody's eyes and listen to them uh, and not worry about internet dropouts or glitches or you're frozen or let's refresh, none of that. They were there in front of me, and it's Paul Popplewell. And he drove over from Yorkshire to my house, and we sat around the dining room table and made him some coffee. Um, And we got down to it, and it was so fantastic. I don't want to go back to remote calls. Um, There's... I'd forgotten, actually, what it is to have somebody right in front of me and talk to them. Uh, It was an absolute joy, and he's fantastic. Look, you'll know Paul. We talk about his collaborations with Michael Winterbottom and Paddy Constantine. You know, he's been in Tyrannosaurus and Journeyman alongside Tony Pitts and Jodie Whittaker. Um, He played Paul Ryder in 24-Hour Party People, which we touch on. Um... Most recently he was in, he popped up in the second series of Save Me with Lenny and the Salisbury Poisonings, BBC One. Um, He's great, he's great company and it's a great chat. So let's get down to the very first, in such a long time, actual human to human two-shot podcast. Enjoy and I'll see you at the end. You must know about Proust's questionnaire. No. So, um, I might be wrong. He was about 14 when he, uh, he wrote all these, these questions, which are supposed to be the greatest questions. And it's always in, uh, they always give it to uh, guests and celebrities in the back of Vanity Fair magazine. They've been doing it for years. So we're going to do that. We're, we're not going to. We'll just do a little Sorry, bit. I'm eating a pastry. Eat a pastry. <laughs> nice thing of his pastry. I'm going to have a pastry. Well, the thing is, um, oh hello everybody listening. By the way, I'm with um, Paul Popperwell, uh, who 
is the first in-person guest that isn't remote and who's kindly come round to my house and was sat having coffee and pastries on a Saturday morning and it's nice to see the whites of somebody's eyes instead of a fucking computer screen. Can, can you see the whites of my eyes? Have my glasses gone Uh-oh. clear again and yeah. dark because it's sunny outside? No, it is a lovely sunny day. Um, <clears throat> so, Paul, give me a number... Between 1 and 30. Sorry, I'm munching pension. No, 1 and fine. 30. Um, we'll do a few of these. Um, uh, um, 11. There we go. Which living person do you most despise? I mean, it's not the most... Po- <laughs> it's, not, it's not the most positive of questions um, to kick off, is it? I don't think I despise anybody. No. And it's a really... No, genuinely, I don't. There are people that um, I don't feel... Um, kind of good about but I don't think I despise anybody he's probably currently one of the politicians yeah, but, to but I don't despise that's proper strong isn't it well it is and I feel certainly you have to have in-depth knowledge of that person and that person's character to despise them. yeah like I say it's to... like some of the politicians they might be good people you know what I mean but they're making some terrible choices that make me a little angry sometimes so Despise would be a really strong word. I don't think I despise anyone. That's not the answer that you want, but no. it's probably the right no, answer. No, I think it is the right answer yeah, because yeah. I didn't know what the question was going to be until oh, right. you said the number. Yeah. But sometimes, and you'll know this as well, I'm sure, as a as a dad, I say sometimes to my son, if he's de- if he's describing a certain incident or somebody or something or an incident that's happened at school, and he'll use hate. he'll use the word hate. Yeah, and I, I knew go, you were going to say that. We don't hate anybody. But just... Back down a bit. Yeah, Just yeah, think about yeah. what you're saying there. It's a strong word. And he yeah. went, well, no, no, I don't mean hate, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I went, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean, but you have, you're have you an eloquent 10-year-old, so choose your words a little bit better and just mm-hmm. back down That's why a little I picked bit. 11, actually, because my son's 11. Well, should we go and pick another number and see Let's what other questions we can... 19. 19. Let's have a look. Oh, this is interesting. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Gosh, I don't know. Um, Isn't it funny being asked these questions because we never get asked? My stomach just dropped there. <laughs> don't know why. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably uh, being a good dad. I think I'm a good dad. I hope I'm a good dad. Somebody told me recently that they think I'm an ace dad and that was like, that meant the world. You know what I mean? Mm. And I know that's probably a cheesy answer. I don't think it is a cheesy answer because I think I... it's like, you know, a lot of my career has gone on hold since I've had kids. I've turned a lot down or I've kind of... But your priorities done changed. done a lot of self-sabotage in terms of my career in order to just be around my kids. Mm. So, yeah, maybe that. Maybe being constant. I mean, I'm not saying I'm amazing. Some days they'd probably say it was crap. But trying to be constant and... Present. Present, yeah. yeah. Be a good dad and do stuff with them and engage with them and teach them decent morals, do you, I think. Do you, I think that might be it. Do you question yourself as a dad sometimes? You know, sometimes when, say, you've got them to bed and you've had, maybe you've had a particularly tricky day. Yeah, I sometimes, sometimes I feel bad. Sit down and... I've yelled. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, 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 no. We're just... We're having a natter. It's fine. But I, I question myself sometimes. And... But I do think we give ourselves a hard time as parents. Yeah, I think... Like, my mum and dad were ace, mm. right? Don't get me wrong. 
but I think most people feel like this. I know um, that that like there are certain things that they might have done or not done that you want to do differently. But in trying to, I don't want to use the word correct, but in trying to do that, sometimes you miss other areas. <laughs> you take your eye off the ball in other areas, and you know I know we're all just ultimately doing our best. But um, yeah, sometimes if I've yelled or if I've been like not very present and a bit trapped in my head and a bit snappy with them or a bit like, yeah, yeah, in a minute, darling. I sometimes kind of beat myself up when I put them to bed. Well, it's interesting. Think, God, I was a bit shit. Today. Yeah. Oh. Well, because we got back last night after a big drive and my son just plonked himself right there on the settee and popped the telly on. And I've got... I knew I had two loads of washing to do. I had bags to unpack. I had food to put in the fridge. I've got, you know, little domestic jobs that you come home. And he said, oh, he said, Dad, can you not just chill out and just come and sit? I said, I'd love to just sit down on the set and, and plonk the telly on, but I've got, I need to get all these jobs. I've got limited time to do these things. And then later on I thought, maybe I should have just stopped and just sat on the set. But, you know, we're all just... Mug- I, I get what you mean. You know what I mean? Like, like, that stuff is just stuff, isn't it? As long as there's the frozen food or the fridge food goes in the fridge, the rest of it, the washing, in theory, can can just wait. But I knew but- that in, like, about 40 minutes, I'd have done all those little jobs and, and it was Friday night, we were ordering a takeaway. I knew I had that in the post that was coming out. We could sit down, and in the end we did, and we sat down, we had pizza, and we watched a, a new film, and Brilliant. and it was lovely. And we both had a little cry at this film. It was amazing. Lovely. It was what great. Was so that? That, this new film, um, I think from the Pixar bods, called Luca. Oh, I saw the trailers for that. I'm going to watch really, that. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, we did Soul. We'll look forward to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I hard recommend with that. It's yeah. lovely. See animals that come to Earth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, sea monsters in Italy. yeah. yeah. Um, but it's about so much more. Yeah, there are always, always messages yeah. and depth. And it's, uh, yeah, just, we just uh, both had a, a little internal cry. We were, but we were just on the cusp. And even, even my son went, yeah, I was really near to going there. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Paul, tell me about growing up. Where, where were we growing up? I grew up in, um, in the suburbs of, of Hull mm. in East Yorkshire. And, um, yeah, in a not not an artistic family at all. I know that's not what you're asking, but you didn't want a one word answer, I don't think. No, did you? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when I was growing up, what did my mum and dad do? My mum my mum was a lab technician at a, a private school and then became delivered parcels for a catalogue and then became a mental health nurse. My dad was at sea. Um What was he doing? He was in the merchant navy, so he was away a lot. And when you say a lot, was he away for like large chunks no, of when, time and then back? No, or? he stopped that. When my, I've got an older brother who's like eighteen months older thereabouts, and when when we were babies, it might have even been when Lee was a baby, but when we were babies, my dad stopped the deep sea when he was away for months and months on end, and then would come back for a few weeks. He was on taking, uh, I think he was taking jet fuel and oil around the world on the big super tankers, right. And he came back to more more localised stuff, doing six weeks on, six weeks off, and doing that, delivering new cars around Europe and Africa and stuff. Um, and then he had he had a heart attack, actually, one time. I did his last ever trip. Back then, you, could, you, could, you wouldn't get away with it now. I was talking about this last night when I was out running with someone. Me and my brother used to go away with him, like in the summer holidays or the two-week holidays. We'd do a trip and, like, work with the crew and... 
just for fun, just to go away with Dad on the ship. And sometimes we'd have family holidays on the ship. You know, if he was going to San Sebastian or something, we'd just all, Mum would be sunbathing on the decks and we'd be just running around the decks playing football or painting with the crew or quite big ships. Yeah. You know? I mean, the idea now, I'd health be horrified. Sa- health yeah, and safety I mean, wouldn't have it, would they? No, I mean, we'd go down in the engine room on our own. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd be, where are my kids? Where are my kids? Do you know what I mean? Have they fallen over? Because it was just little rails. Do you know what I mean? There weren't big barriers like you get on a ferry. There were just little rails and uh, it was fucking great. I loved it. But um, Jeez, I have heart palpitations if he runs onto the next dial for insane space. I'm shouting same, around like man. a madman. Same, same, totally. But... Um, I did my dad's last ever trip with him, actually, when I was about 13. I was, um, it was a summer holidays, and we were one day late coming back for school. That's when he sort of, his, his term finished, and he was like, it doesn't matter if you start back one day late. But on that trip home, he had a heart attack when he was like 39, 40 or something. God. I was about 13. So he was pensioned off. <clears throat> I think things were tricky for a time financially, but then he got a job working for a direct sales and publishing company and, like, our life changed in many respects. It suddenly became, like, working class to middle class, I think, not that we're into class, but, like, suddenly me and me, the holidays that me and my brother had as kids um, changed, you know, like, and my younger sister started going off, like, on safaris with my mum and dad and shit like that. And why can't we go? Yeah. You're too old now, you know what I mean? You're staying at home. Um, so their lives changed. So I've seen them do different things. Over, over did it the change? Years. Did and it now change? They're both retired. Did it change for you having your dad around more? After yeah, that? yeah. I think it was a bit. It was an adjustment for everybody. Actually, I think maybe I didn't really notice so much at thirteen. I was like, I'm not sure. I was an easy kid. Um, in in what respects do you say that? Uh, I think I was the difficult one. Do you know what I mean? The, the... When you say you think, you know, <laughs> don't you? You actually, you've done work yeah, on this and you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I was the difficult one. I was the one that probably kept him up more at night, do you know what I mean, even as a kid and certainly into my teens. But, uh, yeah, I just, I was, I, I, I was difficult. I was like... Were you getting into trouble? I was getting into trouble, yeah, but I wasn't a bad lad, do you know what I mean? I felt lost. More of a rascal. Yeah, I was yeah. A, yeah, but I was an annoying rascal, do you know right. what I mean? And I moved schools and things like that, and I spent a lot of time on report. Or, Did you or, move schools because of kind trouble? Kind of, kind of. In my first term of, of uh, first year of high school, I was like, I need to get out of here. I'm going to go to that other high school that my friend goes to, and then that never happened. I had a lovely, lovely English teacher who was an ex-nun who actually became good friends with my my grandma because they went to the same Catholic church. Right. Like this was later in life, yeah. you know, after I'd left that school. But uh, she was a lovely Mrs. Priest, I think. Strangely being Strangely nun. apt, yeah. I, I hope I've got a name right. She, I, was, uh, I hope you've got a name right. Yeah, It'd be terrible if it was. Yeah, it would that. be. Or was it Priestly? Or is that my friend Emma I'm going to go see this afternoon? Anyway, um, she was lovely. She was lovely. Uh, um, and she was like, got me talking with with one of the six farmers who'd felt the same. I think I was quite creative. Like at that time I was just doing Bugsy Malone at the whole new theatre and play and and I don't know. I don't know. I just but but I remember getting this older six former who'd done drama to talk to me and stuff and I don't know, I just felt oh I always felt lost. This I don't want this to sound like um um 
indulgent or anything. But no. I just like, I think I was just difficult. I was like, and it was always everybody else's fault. Do you know what I mean? Nobody understood me. Yeah. Uh, so that's why if I move schools, I'll be, I'll be all right. I can get a fresh start. Exactly, but you can keep yeah. on leapfrogging oh, and moving oh, and tell moving. Me about that. I found it's... that in later life. I didn't want them. It was <laughs> yeah. me, and I had to take me with me wherever yeah. I went. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I found that out. I found that out in my twenties, and, and you know we're all right now. Me and me. Yeah. <laughs> it takes but, it takes yeah. a bit of time, but um, but I did end up moving schools when I was about thirteen because my brother wanted to go to sea, so he went off to a naval college, which started in in. The third year of senior. Your brother wanted to go to sea. Yeah, he did. Right. Yeah, yeah. He ended up couldn't go because he was colour blind. But he went off to this naval college, and he was a bit, you know, he was a bit of a rascal as well. And when he went to this naval college, suddenly things turned around, and he becomes a school officer, which is like, I suppose, like a prefect. Yeah, you know, yeah, buttons and stripes on your on your full navy suit. You know what I mean? The eight gold buttons. We wore all that and the hats, and had to parade in the morning and. So by the time I was in my third year, which is what, seven, eight, nine, year nine? Yeah. As it is now, they were like, why don't you go? Fresh start and all that, you know what I mean? And it's done your brother the world of good. And I went and it was just, went from bad to worse. Did it? Yeah. Why? Because uh, I got in with the other rascals who'd gone for the wrong reasons, right. who'd gone for a fresh start and not because they wanted to go to that school necessarily. And Not that they were any bad lads necessarily, but like, and also because it was like, it was proper science. The one saviour was the English teacher, actually. He was amazing. And um, I'm on Facebook with him now still. Do you know what I mean? He's still in my life in, in some capacity. And um, he used to come and see me in plays at youth theatre. And I remember we were going on the ship on the Thames for a week and sailing from from Kent and like this training ship that you could go on a proper ship and we went up to Ipswich on it and, like, I knew I wasn't going to go on this school trip because he was getting to choose and, like, I knew I was... Nobody mm. nobody would want me there. You're way down the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'm, not, I'm not even on the list. <laughs> the headmaster said, don't fucking take him. Do you know what I mean? He's trouble. But he took me. Right. And he made a joke of it, you know. Saying in every barrel, you need a bad apple or something like that. But he was like... Nothing like words of encouragement. No, but it was a big (laughs) wink. Yeah, of course. Because I knew he thought I was special and I thought he was amazing. Yeah. It was like, he was ace. It's um, interesting, those teachers. Yeah. Because they do pop up. Oh, man, man. I've talked to Paddy about this, actually. Um, You know, and, and other people, but I remember a conversation because, like, you know... When everybody else, you feel, and I'm not saying it was like this, but I felt like everybody else is like, you're, you're worthless, you're, you know, you're a pain in the arse, you're always... I was always getting told off, and probably rightly so. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I remember getting dragged into the headmaster's office because someone had had the motorbike um, damaged. Weirdly, a motorbike I ended up buying. <laughs> 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 That's totally coincidental. <laughs> but it was like, it was you, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't me. Like, it actually wasn't me, and I don't even, you know. It was, so there was always that presumption. So you kind of, it's like chicken and the egg, in that, it? That's a different list, you're yeah, on. Whenever yeah. something bad happens, there's, <laughs> yeah, always, there's a list yeah, of, like, yeah. three or four people who it could be, yeah. so drag them in because yeah, it's bound to be yeah, one of them. Was, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't me. But I suppose um, I'm rambling here. But, yeah, no. he took me, and he was like, it was just like one of those guys who, he'd lived as well, and maybe that was something to do with it. He'd not always been a teacher. He'd lived life. I'm not saying there aren't teachers who've kind of, you know, left school, college, university and become teachers that are not like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I wonder if he'd lived he'd lived a bit. He'd been a landlord of the 
pub in the red light district and like he knew life and he yeah. and he just, I don't know I think he just saw he had it, it the like maybe the life experience just saw something that he's actually a really good kid and he's just a bit lost and, I mean, um, it, it can be a cliche. He, he, he got me through school, really, mm. in many respects, and encouraged me and em- empowered me. And I felt like I was always seeking approval as a kid, do you know what I mean? You know yeah. what I mean? And, he, and I felt like I got some from him, and it was like... But also it sounds I, like he was I, listening. Yeah, he was. He was mega. I took my kid mega. I took my kids to meet him, actually. Yeah. There, was a, there was an open day at the school when it was closing. There's a real old boys fraternity, and... They were doing a hog roast and like this, you could go look round the school before they bulldozed it um, in Hull City Centre. It's now called Zebedee's Yard and they have concerts there, like Flaming Lips and Happy Mondays and Primal Scream have all played on this bit of yard in the city centre of Hull now. But that was our old school, you know. Um, yeah, and I was like, I want you to meet this guy, you know. He was, yeah. he was my ace English teacher. Yeah, he was a good man. It's interesting. I mean, Steve, I know it. I know Steve it, McGuigan, if you listen. Shout Steve. out Steve McGuigan. Yeah. I mean, it can be a cliche when people say, yeah, but it was just, it's just one teacher and they just change everything. But it's kind of true because it happened for me as well with mm. my deputy headmaster of my um, secondary school. And I'm still in touch with him now. Yeah, you know, he's, nice. he's down the road in wow. Preston. Um, shout out Richard Catmore while we're doing shout outs. <laughs> yeah, big, big up, Richard. Now, should we do. <clears throat> this is kind of an interesting way of getting into the conversation by asking these questions and then we can... Okay. Do, I don't know, it's just a different format. It seems to be working. Cool. Give me another number, um, Paul. Eight. Eight. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, feel free to pick another number if you don't like um, the question, but I'd kind of quite like to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, really. The most overrated one. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah. So you mentioned before about that you were doing Bugs and Malone at the time. Was this sort of extracurricular drama? No, no. Straight. It's how I got into acting. Weirdly, acting was not on the agenda. I was doing a lot of sport. You know what I mean? Like extra. Extracurricular for my, me and my brother, uh, my brother and I was was predominantly sport. We played rugby league. He played for, we did like Sunday league school. My brother played for city, the city. I played for county level. Played football for school. Mm. Um, oh, we tried all sorts as kids. My mum and dad were great, and they'd always like let us try stuff and karate. But we both got disqualified from our first tournament. <laughs> We didn't know what we were doing. We punched people and things like that. Not that we were thugs, but you know, when someone's trying to kick you and things like that. <laughs> if it's coming at you quick. <laughs> it's like you can't hit someone in the face. So that didn't last very long. Um, um, we tried all sorts, but I was a massive fan of the film Bugsy Malone. You know, the, the um, Alan Parker film, Paul Williams' music, Paul Williams, the music. Um, I think so, yeah. And it was just like, it captured my imagination as a kid, as it probably does many, many kids of many generations. We had it on an old VHS, and I used to watch it all the time. My memory, and I'm not sure, you know, kind of not sure the memory's always correct, but I used to, it seemed like I watched it every morning before school or some of it, and on a night. And and then when I was in my final year of of primary school, and the old fourth year of juniors, which would now be year six, would it? Yeah. 
they were going to do it in the drama club. I didn't even know there was a drama club, do you know what I mean? But they were going to do it. And I got the part of Bugsy and it was like, wow, this is great. And um, it was good fun. And then the following year in the newspaper, there was this article of for open auditions to um, the, this theatre company in Hull, which is like, they had an adult company, but they also had youth theatre and all the classes, you know what I mean? A full timetable every night of the week and all days on weekends of... All the different performing arts, music, dance, musical theatre, solo drama, acting, group acting classes, a bit of everything. They were going to put on this production at the big proscenium arch in Hull, um, the whole new theatre as it was, which is like a 1,000, 1,200 seats or something like that anyway. And people were like, you should go for that. And it was just like alien to me. Like, And uh, fear has played a big part in my life as well. Like, always did as a kid and always did into even into adulthood. Like, so the idea of pushing out my comfort zone was not easy because I'll fall flat on my face. You know what I mean? I didn't have the insight then. But, well, you certainly yeah, think you'll fall flat on your yeah, face. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is the fear. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, you know, what will people think? And I didn't have the insight then. It was just like, <laughs> just fear. I probably didn't even know it was fear, just this feeling of dread and no, 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 no. But a lot of people encouraged me, you know, um, school friends, parents, uh, my parents, school teachers. So I, I went for it. And the music teacher at primary school helped me with a song and I had to go do like a monologue or whatever and, and uh, a song. And then I got a recall and they offered me the part of Bugsy, me and another lad, we shared the role. And uh, and that was it, really. Was that the question? Uh, I got the part. I joined that youth theatre as well. And that... that was kind of opened doors to me, really. And then the, the sport started taking a back seat when I'm turning up for smike rehearsals with stitches in my leg because I've been playing rugby that morning and I, I can't do any of the movement at, yeah. for the rehearsals because I've kind of got my leg straight with bandages on it because I've split my knee up and I'm playing rugby. And, and before I knew it, like, the sport was less and less, mainly just at school, less Sunday league and weekends and... Suddenly found myself at 16 making my choices. What was I going to do when I was left school? And desperately seeking my dad's approval. I was filling out forms to go to sea for an apprenticeship, going up to South Shields to to the Naval uh, Merchant Navy College to do my certificates to be a navigation officer. God. With P&O containers and things like that. And vague recollections of having emotional conversations with my mother in the kitchen where she's like, but what do you want to do? You know, not what your dad wants you to do. And I think she tells the story. I don't really remember it. And I was also took up being a, a lawyer as well. <laughs> I would never have been a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, like, I had no application at school. There was no way I'd have got to university in law school. But it was like, you know, my mum was encouraging me. So was my dad, but... um and I said, I want to be an actor. I'll stop fucking about, I think my mum said, and do what you need to do. So I decided I would go to sixth form college. In Hull? In Hull, yeah. yeah. Media studies, theatre studies and arts. What was that course like? Was it renowned? Did you have any, uh, anybody it, that had it been through it? was good, yeah, yeah. Loads of people, including your friend Jilly Campbell. Jilly Campbell, past, <laughs> yeah. past guest past of this yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and loads of people who'd been through the same youth theatre and had gone on and were having successful careers in London as actors, do you know what I mean? And, and the guy who ran the youth theatre and the theatre company in Hull was also head of drama at the Sixth Form College. Um, 
But again, I was like, I was interested in girls and partying, you know what I mean? I just had no real application. Well, what age were you at this point? 16. Well, there you go. You know, and I don't think I'd written an essay, and I was... <laughs> I'm not proud of this at all, but, you know, I do love this podcast because people open up and are honest. And But I kind of ended up seeing the school counsellor, do you know what I mean? Because... I was getting pressure to hand in assignments, of which I'd never... I had no intention of really... The idea of sitting down to write an assignment, I was like... So I was like, oh, I've got loads of problems. And then, do you need to see the counsellor? Yeah, OK, I'm thinking, well, if it's going to buy me a bit more time, yeah, let's do it. And um, and then around November, December... I'd only started in September. Right. I'd already dropped art... Because I thought, oh, I seemed for me, they want me to, like, really care about it. And I was good at drawing and painting and things like that. And I enjoyed art at high school. I got a decent mark in my GCSE. But I could see these people were, like, proper into it. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, nah, it's in for me. Also, again, you had to hand pieces of work in, you know. So well, it kind of <laughs> comes with a territory, Paul. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. So I, I was like, all right, I'll just do the theatre studies and media studies. You know what I mean? And um, and then the head of drama put it to us that, that there was someone from the BBC wanted to audition some kids for a film. So he got loads of us together. There was a mixture between people who went to the youth theatre, people who were on the sixth form college course, many of which did both, but there were some who, were only, who didn't go to the college and there were some who went to the college but not the youth theatre. And he got us all in this huge room in the Ballet Studio at the at the uh, at the youth theatre place. Yeah. In Hull. Um one night or day, can't remember. Probably a Saturday. And this director who was gonna direct this film for the BBC came up and she'd done like the agencies in London looking for kids. Weirdly, I know a lot of people who went up for it, peers who were a little bit older than me and um who had agents or and then she'd done the drama schools in London looking for a, a kind of a boy, a boy and some girls from the north and hadn't found anyone so she thought she'd better head up the motorway and she started doing youth groups I, I'm sure she probably did the Nottingham and Oldham and along the M62 and she found this one and she came and this poor woman sat through God knows how many monologues Oh, you had to prepare. Yeah, monologue. I think I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Could be wrong. And then she just workshopped us, and then a few of us started getting audition uh, recalls to Bradford, to this hotel in Bradford City Centre. I want to say the Palace, but that's Manchester where I've stayed many times. But I think it was the Queen's, maybe. Right. I don't know. It's like near the near the interchange, Bradford Interchange. Anyway, that's by the by. I do ramble a lot. So this is good. Feel free, what po- to, free, free to edit or put this it out is, in two parts. This is what the podcast is all about, <laughs> Pop. Don't worry. Um, yeah, anyway, so we, we went a couple of times and there was a few of us. And I ended up landing the lead in this film about this boy. It was based on a true story about a boy who was probably autistic, though not diagnosed in any way, shape or form. And um, he, he took his own life in prison when he was uh, 
I think he was 17 or he was maybe three weeks past 18. I can't remember whether it was three weeks before his 18th birthday or, three, or several weeks after, but he was, he was a young boy who was on remand who should never have been in prison. He wasn't a criminal. His home life was tricky. He left home at 16, totally inadequate. His neighbour helped him get like a bed sit. Right. Bullies got involved in his life. There's some bullies in the film and they sort of represent many groups of kids and bullies they, his flat got burnt down people used him as parties and he got into petty crime with the bullies like maybe odd burglary or nicking lead off a roof certainly that's in the film and nick a kettle he nicked a kettle from a builder's porter cabin do you know what i mean Cause yeah because he, he wanted a hot drink and it's fine I'm, I'm welling up like, oh, like i can it. feel it like now because um simon willerton i still think of him a lot a lot and um and um, he took his life. He, he went to prison for crimes that netted him no more than a tenner in, 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 on remand in Armley and killed himself. The letters in the film that he writes to his family are the, are the letters. Oh. Um, strangely, they gave the letters. They were suing the Home Office at the time, again, which was strange because I'm not sure how involved they were in his life and I'm sure they're still alive, some of his family and brothers and sisters and maybe his parents. So I don't want to be disrespectful at all. It must have been awful. But um, but anyway, yeah, I got that role and and um, and um, that got me an agent. Uh, did you ask this question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 don't, don't. That, that, that. There was a wonderful lady, um, Corinne Campbell-Hill directed it and and she'd found the story on the radio, I think. Vincent O'Connell, who I'm still in touch with, um, who I did one of his films a few years ago called ID2. He'd written ID1, the first football elegant film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, what a terrifying film. Yeah, yeah, well, he he made and wrote the second and I I did that with him, so I've worked with him two years, like almost 20 years apart, but he wrote it. And um, Vincent and Hilary Salmon produced it, who's now a big exec at the Baby, who I've worked for since, like you know, um, on, on on dramas such as Inside Men and things like that. I know, I know, we're not here to talk about work, but like people who you still see around, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's strange, and uh, and even when I worked with Hilary all those years later um, on Inside Men, she was on set, and I don't know, execs, you don't often always see them. I know you do, but like. I may because we'd known each other since I was sixteen. I was a boy. Yeah. And she she had a she'd been breastfeeding, like and her boy is now like twenty odd. You wow. know what I mean? And weirdly, she lived on the same road as my friend Sam in Crouch End when you guys were all at Mountview. God. So and I used to stay with Sam in Crouch End, yeah. just around the corner from Banners. You yeah. know what I mean? So like the world. So I knew her, do you know, and we would talk about Simon, when we were filming this this drama a few years ago, you know. Isn't it interesting uh, about the connections that you make and then sometimes it takes that amount of time to come full circle yeah, and come back together. Yeah, but you're interesting. Yeah. I know we don't talk about work loads on this, certainly not when I'm talking to actors because for, well, for all sorts of reasons, but you know the reasons I don't have to reiterate it. But when I think about you and I look at your work all over the years, we're always... I always find myself, I feel very lucky when I work with a, a writer or a director who I respect and we just click and it just works and it's it becomes something else. Well, regardless of whoever sees it, it becomes something 
personal. Um, and I think you have forged certainly two very close relationships with people that you've worked with time and time again, one being Michael Winterbottom, yeah. the other being Paddy. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny, you, you've just gone on and you seem to come back and collaborate a time and yeah. time again with, with, you know, these fantastic um, creatives. Yeah, it's strange, really. I mean, I, feel, I don't know, something weird just happened to me then. I feel a bit light-headed and out-of-body experience because I love those two men, like Deeply, yeah. Michael and um, and Andrew Eaton, Michael's long-time yeah. business partner. They're not business partners anymore, but they're still dear friends and weirdly, not weirdly at all, actually, because he's a good friend. But strangely, having not seen my uh, Andrew for a number of years, I had dinner with him in Cardiff a few weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah and I'm having dinner with him on Tuesday in Cardiff again as I'm down there again next week. But... Um, um, uh, for those listeners who don't know, Andrew is is a film producer and produced Michael's work, and they were on the business uh, film company together for years. I don't know. Do I need to explain that? Yeah, I think they <laughs> could always look it up. It yeah, kind of does yeah, matter. So his backstory is good. Andrew anyway, but, uh, produced nearly all of Michael's films up to only a few years yeah, ago. Up to I would a few imagine. Years ago, yeah. yeah. And they, they, you know, they're great friends. But sort of, uh, Andrew's doing other stuff now, um, and, and Michael's still doing his his own stuff. Anyway, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know how it happened. I met Andrew and Michael in a room in, like, in London in 1996-7 for a film that never got made. So you'd have been about 20? 17, maybe? No. 18, yeah. yeah. I'm 44, so... Yeah, I'm 45. I, I did Criminal in, like, 94. <clears throat> right. When I was 16... I was 17 just after it finished, probably 17 when it went on telly. Got my agent when I was 17 through. Elaine Donnelly, I was going to, just to take a back segue a second, yeah. there was a, I was going to say earlier, and I think I started saying there was a lovely lady as well as the director and the writer of the film and Hilary Salmon, the producer, there was a lovely lady, an actress called Elaine Donnelly who was the younger kid's chaperone on Criminal and like an acting coach. She helped us. She worked with us. And yeah. She helped me get an agent. She was um, with... with and she took me under her wing when the film finished. She took me to her house in Nottingham, which is weird because I've just been listening to you and Sam Morton talking about Nottingham yeah. on your podcast. And uh, she was married to Elaine Dosser, uh, Al- Alan Dosser, the, the, the TV director, and they were making Between the Lines back then. And she took me on set. Because like, I didn't know anybody from the acting world at all. And suddenly I'd been the centre of this film and it had been my life. Yeah. I'd been 16, living in a hotel and... Long days on set every day, and and then everybody just goes, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They like literally. That's a wrap, and they're gone. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say <laughs> that because I was about to say you never have that aftercare. No. It's like that you saying that and they're gone. Just reminds me of when I sat down with Tony Pitts. Yeah. And the and I think he says something like, "And the circus left the town." Yeah. And I wanted to go with them, but yeah. they were going. They're gone. So, but Elaine was lovely. And she helped me with spotlight contacts. That's very rare that that so, happens yeah, to, to, to younger actors at that point when, like, when they don't know anything. No, she 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 got me in a scene on between the lines. There's an Did extra, she, oh, but just brilliant. like there was a fight. You know what I mean? And I think um, uh, Neil is it Neil Pearson? Yes. Yeah, he was in this scene, and who I later worked with on ID Two. Strangely, oh, like you know, we were talking actor. about you know maybe, yeah. like, twenty odd years later, and I told him about this. He would never remember, but like I would met him when I was about seventeen. And, 
and there was this fight in this scene, and they were like, do you want to get in it? You know, like, and it was just like, it was not to give me an acting job. It was just to have a nice day and be a part of, and... And then I had dinner with all these cinematographers at their house and totally fell out of my debt because I was an inadequate 17-year-old with no conversation skills particularly. But also but, you didn't have any knowledge. What could you add to the no, conversation? Not a lot. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, she helped me get an agent. So anyway, but but um, that's what I was going to say earlier um, and got me, you know, into the industry, if you like, because without that agent, I'd, I'd have just gone back to college, I suppose. Um, or, I don't know, ended up working... Something else, but, um, but it's like what you said about uh, a teacher that listens. Yeah, it, you just need one person to go. Actually, I'll just come here. Give me a hand, and let's yeah. go through this door and have yeah. a look at this and see yeah. if this is for you. And it turns yeah. out it was. Yeah, yeah, she was great. I've never really seen her since. We just very quickly drifted, but uh, she was lovely. Another person, a bit like Steve, the teacher, who you know will forever remain a very fond. And uh, place in my heart. But that's kind of what I was saying before about your, you come back and your collaborations with Mike and your collaborations with Paddy. You yeah, come back so and you don't, we don't have that. These brilliant people come into our lives and they are, we have a very sort of close, intimate relationship, hopefully sometimes, you know, an inspiring relationship and it changes and then they've gone. Yeah. But they're only in your life for that amount yeah, of time. And, and, it, and they might not yeah. come back. Yeah. Which is why what I was saying before about when I think about you and your your career, you I think you're so lucky that you come back and you collaborate and build, yeah, carry on and, building I, these I, relationships. I never really talked about that because I wanted to just mention Elaine. But yeah, yeah, I, I met Michael and Andrew in a room in London somewhere when I was about 17, 18, yeah. 19. I, I don't know, it's still young very early into having an agent, I think they'd seen Criminal, you know, it was it was in the days of Screen 2, so it was like they were big popular dramas, you know, they were the they were the single dramas. Just for people who who are slightly younger and they won't know what a sort of a Screen 2 was, should we just sort of explain yeah, what the they B, were? The B, yeah, for sure. The BBC used to regularly, and less so now, I guess, yeah. make um, one-off single dramas... For the for BBC One and BBC Two, and they were either a Screen One or a Screen Two, and like you know, you look back at the back catalogue, and there were some phenomenal dramas with some phenomenal writers, directors, and actors, yeah. and, and crew, and everything. Obvi- yeah. Obviously, but many went on to like do, you know, be be our great kind of the older generation of like you know. What's I, that? I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I like, suppose they were the great your Julie Walters and your kind of Pete Postlethwaite and all these kind of you know they were, phenomenal. They were, uh, they were almost like a modern version, an updated version of Play for Today, yeah, which, which yeah. happened. But they were almost like a training ground. They were like a, they were like what the old version of like rep theatre would be. But on television, they gave people yeah, they were on all the sm- time, smaller they? budgets, and I, f- I feel that they gave them freedom. I mean, our budget, I think, was about a million quid. I shot a feature film a few years ago for three, like literally a few years ago, when obviously things are a lot more expensive now, for like three hundred and thirty and I features, which I think three three films share a million quid. Yeah, you know, so a million quid one. That shabby back no, in 1994. No, no, no. You know, but, no, it's good. But I remember George Faber coming down, who was the exec, who went on to own company pictures, yeah, didn't he? And yeah. did many amazing things. Yeah, of course. And then they were talking about needing more money, I think, and like, you know, um, uh, 
you're sort of in the bar, you're having com- hearing conversations and the politics and stuff. It was quite interesting. But, but I feel then they would have given them a bit more. I would have hoped they'd give them more sort of creative freedom. Probably. To, to roll the dice and cast somebody who doesn't have the experience that, you know, someone who the BBC might want over there and give them a bit of a platform maybe, and give yeah. them a bit of a training ground. That's what I would, maybe that's my sort of romantic notion of maybe. what sort of that know. screen, one screen, I, two I, play for I, today I, vibe. I, I, I was saying know. the other day that wouldn't it be great <clears throat> to bring those types of things It back? was amazing. But, I mean, like, you know, they were on a lot. Yeah. Um, and we, we get less of that now, don't we, single dramas? We get three, four-parters, six-parters, series, series yeah. things that run and run. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they were great. Anyway, so Michael and, and Andrew, I think, had seen that, got me in for one of the leads in this feature film that never got made, actually. Um, I, I don't know why, whether it was a funding thing or... I think it was about joyriders and things like that. And I right. think... Was there a TV? Was there a cinema or a TV film called Shopping and and something? I can't. No, it was just <laughs> uh, called Shopping. Just, just Shopping. Just Shopping. That's and right. it was Jude Law, Sadie Frost, That's and it right. was it was the Natural Nylon That's right. bunch. And yeah, for people yeah. who don't remember, absolutely correct. Natural Nylon was, I think, I'm right in saying, a production company uh, f- uh, founded by Reefis and Hugh Reece, McGregor. Jude, Sadie Frost, Ewan McGregor, Sean Pertwee, yeah, I think. I think. So, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that was maybe they sort of got that idea first about I, the joyride. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's why Andrew and Michael didn't make theirs, but I remember that coming out not long after and thinking, gosh, that's very similar to that script that I read. I'm sure there were probably well, it's other u- reasons. But it's usually the way, isn't it? Do you remember when yeah. uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out and then Patrick Bergen's Robin Hood came out kind of at the same no, time? Do you remember that? No, but I mean, that happened recently, didn't it, with the two Capote films, Truman Capote films. Yeah, well, it, ke- it always keeps good, happening. Actually. But, you know, around... Sort of gladiator time. There was a, a a whole host of sort of those types of films that were coming out, and Troy and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it just yeah. it always it always crops yeah. up, doesn't it, in the film yeah. industry? Yeah. But um, anyway, I met them, and it didn't come to anything. And then years later, maybe not years later. I don't. I can't remember the timelines. But about ninety six, ninety seven, I got an offer to be in. It was just straight offer, I think. And it was only a tiny part. It was one scene to be in Michael Winterbottom's I Want You with Alexandra Navola. And was it Rachel Weiss? Yeah. So I did a little little bit in that. Um, so they'd obviously remembered me and, and got me back in that. Um, and then a few years later, again, 24-hour part of people comes around. And I was, I was about to fly to Egypt, actually. To do what? Just backpack. Right. 2000, it was. Just to take yourself off? Yeah, yeah. Take myself off um, with, a, with, a, with a mate I'd met at the RSC who, who lived, we kept in touch and we were both living in London. And I, was, I was just waiting to finish a film I was doing in London and then it was like, let's go to Egypt and we booked this trip through student travel, STA on Shafts for Ave. Do you there remember? There you go, do, yeah. yeah. And uh, we went off and I, I met Michael in like, this. I'd come up to Yorkshire to get my rucksack and some stuff. And I was going back to London, but came via Manchester to meet him in the production office, which ended up being the film's production office. So it must have been in pre-production, I guess. Yeah. Um, whole area of Manchester now no longer exists, you know what I mean? It's changed so much since then. 
Whereabouts was it? Do you remember? Uh, I can't remember really. No, it's like piecing it together. It might have been Ancoats. It was just on the outside. I can't. You wouldn't even recognise it. It was right on some water somewhere. Right. It's changed so much. Yeah. I, mean, I was last year working, rehearsing at the exchange, like 2017, and it's changed so much since then. I'm driving around going, wow, this is all new again. Well, I was messaging you the other week when you were talking, I think you were talking about, were you doing some sort of photo shoot, like, on the roof of... That was 20, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was 20, that was that was 24 hour party people. Yeah. It'll have been on a roof of a roof of a building that no longer exists right round here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I met Michael for that, and then... They offered me a part in it. And that's when our friendship began. Like, um, before that, they were just people who'd seen my work and who I'd met, you know, and, and who had, a, had me in on their film. Like, even when I did I Want You, I never... No, because you just you popping in. You don't speak to anyone, yeah. do you, really? You check into your hotel, you turn up for set, you, you do your bit, and the director's polite. I'm not even sure whether I met Andrew on set then. But, but Andrew and Michael are brilliant people. And their third AD, Mike Elliott, I think he was the third on I Want You, became Michael's first on 24-hour 24-hour party people. And then now Mike owns his own production company, you know, um, called Emu Films, which has a base in London and a base in Manchester. And I've done one of Mike's films as a producer called right. The Goob, which Andrew Eaton... Um, um, no, he wasn't involved in that, but Andrew in, ended up executing another of, of Mike Elliott's films called Jawbone, written by Johnny, Johnny Harris. So, like, their relationships, it's not just me who's had long, long relationships. They've had long relationships with a lot of people. Yeah, I was talking about this with Andrew when we had dinner the other week, just saying how much I love him and how much he is loved. Like, everybody on that film... Loves him. You know, you're Martin Moscrops, who was our music coordinator on that film who, from the band ACR, Factory Records Band. I'd put a picture on Facebook or something of me and Andrew or something, and everybody who knew him from 20 years ago was going, God, I love that man. God, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, they just, they nurture people. Yeah. You know, they still work with people, you know. Anita Overland, who's a producer. God, yeah. I've worked with Michael and Andrew a lot. I think now works with Mike Elliott producing stuff. I think I could be wrong there, but I, th- I think they produced some Steve McQueen drama over lockdown, did they, that was on? Uh, forgive I me know. if I'm getting all my facts wrong, but no. I guess all I'm trying to say is that they're just great people who, who, who are loyal and want to get people back in. And I'm not the only one who's like Michael worked with a lot. You know, you've got your Kieran O'Brien, your Shirley Henderson, your John Sim. No, of course. You know, a lot of people that they are part of his repertoire. And he's never offered me big stuff again, but it's always like, oh, I've got this, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? He did a film called On the Road, um, which was kind of following the band Wolf, Ali- Wolf Alice around. Yeah. And it was just really, he was only having two actors in it, two young actors who meet, um, and he was going to immerse them in the in the crew. So the crew didn't know they were actors. They just kind of, you know, they were going to shoot this thing with no scripts and follow the band. And, um, and he asked me to come on board and... Um, I don't really know why, actually. And I, I did wonder whether it's... I was only on it a few days because I only had, like, a four-day window because I was due to start Journeyman. Um, and I went on it, and I think... I wonder. Maybe I should ask him. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> 
I didn't make much of the final cut because it wasn't really about me. It was literally about these two characters who meet and have a love story. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I partly wonder if it was just because so, I'm so used to the way he works, if I could just help them just kind of doing some improv and not that they're not capable of that, but no, they but were still well it's... capable. Just kind of somebody who gets it and yeah. just like naturally be around it. It was to sort of play the road manager. And partly because the guy who was going to come and help road manage it wasn't available for a while. But I think he was more practically road managing as opposed to acting. Anyway, I'm rambling. But, yeah, um, I think that was the last time I worked with him, 2016. But I, I, I did text him the other week, actually, and, and Melissa, his partner. So, you know, they're still in touch with these people and they're just, just good friends. You know? But it's, it's incredible that uh, when friendships are founded like that at work... And the loyalty that comes on, and you talk about like those are two people in a great position where they can nurture new talent, and they certainly did that. You know, I look back now at you know Ralph and like John, and everybody looks so young in yeah. Twenty Four Hour Party yeah. People. But what I, a cast! I mean, that's I mean, what I'm like, saying. It's just like phenomenal. Can you imagine nowadays getting? all those people together in one film. It yeah, wouldn't the, happen. The cameos, you know, of, like, Simon Pegg and, and Rob Brydon and John Thompson and Chris Eccleston. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just... And they're pulling in them favours from people like Chris, you know, because because of the loyalty and the love for them and, do you, you think know, that's nice. Do you think that's where a lot of friendships were forged on that set? I think so, yeah. I mean, I'm still in touch with loads of people on, on that to a greater or lesser degree. I spoke with Kieran O'Brien the other week. I haven't seen Kieran for 10, 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know that I bumped into someone up a mountain the other week who I hadn't <laughs> seen for 19 years yeah. on that film. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. And the funny thing is, I was around that person's house two weeks prior to that for dinner and I didn't even know he was in it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so because you look back and I haven't seen that film for a long time. But, I can't watch it. Really. But I remember being quite blown away because of the age that I was. It was just I was just missing all that. But it it was such such chaos on screen, controlled chaos. In obviously in the edit, was it like that film? And did it feel like? Yeah, the train I mean, has left the station. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it was wild. I don't know whether it was ever supposed to be wild. But it was wild. And the party went on for about two years. You know, I remember being out in London with Chris Coggle, who'd played Bez. Yeah. And Kieran O'Brien, who played, who had played Nathan McGough, the Mondays, Happy Mondays manager. We all became friends and we'd been running around Soho and Kieran's flat up in Marleybone Way for days. And coming, finally coming back to my flat in Camberwell, to voice messages, you know, on your landline. Yeah. Mobile, mobile batteries well and truly <laughs> been dead for days. But like I had this big old fax machine with a with a with an answer phone and it was like I think it was Andrew Eaton and Gina Carter, who was the producer the co-producer on it as well, going, Where are you? We're trying to get hold of you. We're in Cannes. Do you do you do you all want to come? Can you get hold of everybody? Like, ringers, ringers, ringers. This was 2001, so it's only the month after we'd finished filming. We filmed, I think, February 2001 to April 2001, so maybe about eight weeks thereabouts. I can't remember exactly. But Cannes in May, isn't it? It's Cannes Festival in May? Yeah, it's early, yeah. So 2001, they're like, come out. 
And they're like, you know, we'll we'll be paying, so it won't be like, you know, no film company's paying for it. We'll be paying, so it won't be uber extravagant, but we'll, you know, we'll get you cars and hotels and sort you out and everything. And, you know, um, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, fucking hell, we'll come jump in the shower, you know what I mean? And <laughs> like, right, we're going we're gonna to bike you around a camera, a film camera, the Sony PD-1, whatever they were, oh my 180s. God. Oh, I don't know, I might be making up that the name, but it was what the, the film was shot on. We shot on quite a lot of these handheld cameras. We, I say we, yeah, not, not not me. Yeah. Was it Robbie Muller? Was the was the that was the operator at the DOP and, and Marcel, who, who's gone on to be, I think Marcel, who's gone on to be a brilliant DOP in his own right. Um, and they shot hundreds of hours. I mean, hundreds of hours. God knows how he ever edited that to like ninety minutes or two hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they banked me around this this camera in a plastic carry case with a load of money and it was like we'll sort you some flights come out and i don't know if we came out that day or the next day or but it was like imminent it was like yeah it might have even been that day i can't remember and the other lads who lived in manchester came from manchester actually maybe chris coggle hadn't been running around town with us for a few days because i think he flew in from manchester it doesn't really matter but the point is we we went out there and then we went out the following year and so it kind of went on for a while, do you know what I mean? And it was just chaos. It's, we ended up pulling a publicity stunt that first year, throw, throwing dead pigeons around. Because <laughs> of the because of that scene? Yes, yeah, so yeah. there's a scene in the film where Paul Ryder and Sean Ryder poison pigeons, which may or may not have happened, you know, the no, myth or the legend. I mean... You know, um, and that's the point of that film. Yeah, it, it is. What's, what's, what's better, the myth or the legend, the, the fun story or, or the truth? So we threw these pigeons around, and I think our publicists kind of got blacklisted for a few days because, like, blood was shed and <laughs> pigeons landed in the Coen Brothers' dinner and they thought it was fucking amazing. You know, it was like, it was, yeah, it was great fun. It was good times, and we were, we were young, you know, and we, yeah. were, we were having it. I'd, I'd never been a can before, you know. It was the first time I'd seen Cogger with his hair cut. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, it was good times. And is that where you first met Paddy? I met Paddy on on that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, it was very hazy. You know what I mean? We were all staying in the Palace Hotel in Manchester, and you know, we'd film. Did they put all of you in the palace? I think so. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, just like the fuse. I think it, Steve it? might have had an apartment around the corner. Maybe some of the others. Yeah. Ralph was in and out the palace and in and out the Malmaison, but I think he was putting him like. Taking the money and putting himself in the Malmaison, I think. But really, we were all there. I mean, slightly dangerous putting yeah. everybody yeah. there. I mean, it was wild. It was every night of the week. Yeah. You know, and it was... Well, I've worked with so many people over the years that have had a, a, a smaller or larger, you know, part in that film and the stories that you get back. Yeah. God, I remember Sam Riley. I don't want to tell other people's stories, but he had a little part in it yeah, playing Malky Smith. And obviously Sam's a big star now. And, you know, they're going back to all those people that were in it. But, I mean, I remember seeing Sam in there in, in you know, early hours of one morning. And, I mean, it was crazy. I think that was the night I broke break dance and forgot to put my hands out. And, you know, I did the swan dive and forgot to put my hands out, I think, and... Smashed. I just put me, yeah, I just put my teeth through my face <laughs> <laughs> during shooting. I think so. Yeah, I woke up the next morning. My pillow was covered in blood. Danny Cunningham, who played Sean, I think oh. he woke up in my room or he knocked on the door. 
we'd often work up in the same rooms, even though we all had nice rooms. Yeah. And, and I'm like, there's just blood everywhere. And I'm like, what the fuck happened last night? Oh, we were breakdancing and you, you didn't use your hands. <laughs> <laughs> It was. I mean, it, I don't mean to glorify it, but it was. It was good fun, and we were young, and it was. It was, yeah. But that's where I met Paddy, and Paddy and I liked each other. I liked him a lot, although I don't remember having that many amazing conversations with him because it was always so messy. Yeah. Um, but I liked him. I liked his energy. I liked him as a person. Um, I remember we only had one scene together, and I remember distinctly saying. God, I'm so glad we get to work together, like actually get to work together. The scene got cut, actually, because he he was chasing us around Main Road, but we were all in, like, 70s, 80s clothing, and everybody else was in, like, 2001 shirts, so it was just not usable. Yeah, yeah. The police nearly st- stopped us that day for inciting a riot, actually. Did you not get permission to film? Was I, well, it I don't gorilla? know. No, but, like, me and Danny were wearing Man United scarves and stuff, me and... The, the, as characters, Paul yeah. and Sean Ryder, and Rob Gretton, who who was Paddy's character, was a was a City fan, um, was a Man City fan. So the scene was he was chasing us around Maid Road, and we were, you know, yelling and shouting and hurling abuse at Man City fans. Well, of course, the general public just didn't really know <laughs> that that it was a film. Yeah, and you know. Um, of all the places to do it. Yeah, on match day. It was oh, on a match day. Oh, really? You know I mean? Yeah. That is insane. I know, yeah, yeah. And I don't think we got shut down. I don't know. Maybe my memory's really hazy about it all. But anyway, the scene didn't make the, the final cut because of that. It just didn't match. We were in 70s flares and, you know, old scarves and everybody else is in, like, more modern clothing, I think, is, is probably why I didn't make it. But anyway, I'm, I'm, again, I, I sort of ramble on a bit. But... um yeah, we just became, I, I liked him. And then I used to see him around at, like, awards dues. And yeah. we were sat on the same table at the Empire Awards one year, and me and Paddy were both getting autographs. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were getting autographs, you know what I mean? From other tables. <laughs> From other tables, yeah, yeah. And I was getting them, I don't know who he was getting them for, but I was getting them for me, me like, I think, family friends' kids, you know what I mean? Because I knew Dominic Monaghan, and I'd, come to get no Orlando Bloom through Dominic. So I knew some of the Lord of the Rings lads and we used to party with them and stuff. And so I'm kind of going around Gandalf, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you and McGregor, obviously he was all in that film, but he was, and like, I lost those autographs. I remember leaving him at our publicist's house. We ended up back at her flat until early hours and I left it all there and never got it back because um, I was going to give them to... My, my cousin's kids. But anyway, that's by the by. But I used to see Paddy around a lot. And then again, like so many other people in life, let alone this industry, you sort of drift, don't you? Yeah. We lost contact, not through anything other than you just lives took a different tack. And then I saw him backstage at Leeds Festival in about 2016. No, sorry, about 2006 um, in the sort of the guest area. And it was like it was a bit like me and Dan on the mountain last week. Yeah, and it was the same thing where you lock eyes across a, a crowded field, and it's like, no, oh, Paddy, Paddy, Paul, wow, big embrace. Like we'd only seen each other yesterday, nattering away, catching up, and he told me about the short film he'd written, <clears throat> and which um, was dog all together. Which was dog all together. Um, 
and asked me if I wanted to be in it and and I was in it and and uh, and then kind of that just rekindled you know it kind of reconnected us and and yeah that was like 2006 so what what is that now do the maths um well what we're 2022 aren't we? yeah, yeah so 17 years so 15 years god now um, I was talking about short films the other day and I gave Dog altogether as yes as an example of a of a fantastic short but also and I don't know if this was the case but it always seemed to me that it was is the trailer is the opening of what I want to do as a feature. It's never like that. Wasn't it? Was the it? No, no. Panny wow. would probably be better served telling the story, actually. So um, if I get it wrong, sorry, Paddy. No, it was always a short. <clears throat> it was always meant to be a short. I know a lot of people think I've got an idea for a feature. Yeah. Like, let me see if I can make a short version and... But it always seems like it was the opening. It was the the opening of introducing all these characters. Well, it is. I mean, literally, and you probably know this, but it is literally the opening. Yeah, it is. So the first 15 minutes or 16, 17 minutes, however long Dog All Together is as a short film, is literally the opening minutes of Tyrannosaur, the film. They reshot it, but it's it's the same. It's pretty much, yeah, it is, yeah. And the scenes are pretty much the same. Yeah. But what happened was he wrote the film. It did really well. It won the the, the BAFTA, didn't it? And yeah. I think it won a lot of other stuff critically. <clears throat> and people would ask him. He got asked a lot, um, I think probably in interviews, but also just in general conversation, the sort of thing that you're asking now, is it meant to be a feature or what about the characters? What happens to the char- characters? And he always thought he was more interested in what happens to the female character. What's her story? What's her background and what's her journey than than Joseph, the male yeah. Mullins character, more Olivia Coleman's character. And I think, and again I say Paddy is probably better served, I'm just interpreting what I've what he's told me and what I've heard him tell other people. He just sat down, he decided I'm I'm gonna find out and he sat down and he, he wrote it in one sitting pretty much. The film we shot is pretty much draft one. It just poured out. <clears throat> and um, and he found out what happens to him when he wrote it. And as I say, he'd be better off yeah, yeah, telling yeah. that story. But that's the bones of it. It's so play. interesting. It's a bit like yeah. Tony Pitts when Tony Pitts yeah. sits down to write. And it's usually the first draft. You know Tony. Yeah, I do yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, so, yeah. I'm gonna end kind of where oh, we yeah, started I'm, love, I'm, I'm enjoying this i'm, I'm enjoying just, this we're just warming up oh, i usually don't talk i'm usually really kind of, <laughs> well for know. someone who doesn't talk we're doing very well i know i'm usually like mr private and uh don't ask me anything about me and super kind of uh um i used to ask uh a question and I very rarely ask questions because you know what this podcast like we just we just have a conversation and we see where we go but I used to end with a question, and it was similar to what I'm going to ask you now, but I used to ask, uh, are you happy? Yeah. I used to ask, are you happy, for, to some people. I don't, I don't uh, like because, that word, happy. No, I know, but the thing is, well, it's funny you don't like it because it's going to Well, it's not that I don't like it, but I'm like more like content. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's very rare that we get asked this. Yeah. But I'll ask you this, and if you don't like it, then well, it's not that we'll just I don't like it. it. It's like I just, I just think it's like some people say I want to be happy. Okay, but what does that? What does ah, that ah well, that's a, that's a completely different question, well, isn't is it? Is it? 
Yeah. I, you've not even asked your question no, yet, so I'm going to shut up. But um, just going back to Prue's questionnaire, when and where were you happiest? That's interesting. In life or in my career? I think you can interpret the answer of that question any way you like. That's a really, really deep question. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with, with answering a deep question, but I do want to kind of... Think about it. Think about it and, like, get it right. But I think in terms of my career, and I know that's not really what you're asking, but I always said this to, to, to Paddy, like, I feel... I feel most alive creatively when I'm working with him and other people, you know, not just him, but, like... I probably feel my most valued on this set. Because of how he makes you feel? Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're... Maybe it's because he's an actor, maybe it's because he's a friend, or maybe it's just because he is who he is. Well, yeah. As a person. But I always feel... He's got a very particular energy, hasn't he? Yeah, and also I've never auditioned for him. Do you know what I mean? And, like, I'm not good at auditioning. I don't have huge confidence... Even after all this time? Yeah, 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 even what, after all this time. What, what is it about that, then? I don't know. I just, like, I had this conversation with Andrew Eaton the other week when we had dinner, and I was like, he was saying about, like, you've got a great body of work and people love you, and, like, I'm like yeah, I don't see that, though. I just see, like, an, a, a dad trying to graft, and, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, sometimes I have, uh, you know, side hustle and day jobs and doing what I have to do to put a mo- pay the mortgage and, and feed my kids. And not that, like, you know or hand-to-mouth or anything, but, like, it's just, like, I don't see that version of me. That's not who I am. I don't I don't communicate with art, people in the arts on a daily basis. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, not because I don't want to. It's just not, it's not my day-to-day reality. It's no, just of about course. dropping the kids off, picking them up, and taking them to drama, uh, not drama, they don't do drama, <laughs> gymnastics or football or yeah. whatever. Like, and the day's gone. Yeah, the day's gone, and, like, boom, I sit down and maybe watch some on telly or... You know, I watched a lot of football during lockdown because there was loads of catching up. But anyway, what am I trying to say? I'm rambling like mad. Um, I just... I, I, auditioning. I'm not good at auditioning. Um, I always think, just give me the job, I'll fucking nail it for you. You know, I talk myself out of jobs because like, I can't do it. Or Does it ever get to a point with you, where, a bit like what Andrew was saying, you've got a good body of work and we're doing this for over 20 years, and it's like, well... You know I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I do just, I have to jump through I know, those, those it, hoops again? Yeah, and I wrestle with it. Like, I wrestle with it because of, like, I've done a lot of work on myself, like, as a person over the years because I've had to. And so I've got a bit of insight, right, into human nature and my own human nature. And sometimes I have to question my motives about that and, like, make sure I'm not saying it out of ego because I'm not one of them. Do you know who I am? No, I, I, well, I'm, look, I'm just not that person. We know that. But, like, I'm like, I did get asked to audition for a short film recently, and I'm like, I, I'm not auditioning for that. Like, it's nice, it's a good film, but I'm like, 25 years of work, endless bits of, like, I was like, look, send them this link and send them that, and if they want to offer me, I'd love to do it. Do you know what I mean? But, like, it's a bit like that. That sounds quite grand, and I don't no, mean I, it like I, I know you don't I do mean audition. Like that. I'll audition for like a couple of lines in summer, but I do feel like that sometimes. After t- like what I'm trying to say is like Michael offers me stuff, 
Paddy offers me stuff. I haven't auditioned for Michael since 24 Pirate People, which is 20 years ago, and I haven't, I've never auditioned, met, casting, whatever we want to call, call it. Call it. You know, meeting, interview, whatever you want to call it, for, for, for Paddy. You know, for Journeyman, he sends me a text going, I'm sending you a script, mate, I want you to do it. You know, um, so you immediately feel valued. But there's a mean? trust and, there as well, Yeah, Paul. there is, there is. And So, of course, uh, you're, you're saying, sorry, you're saying when you're on the set with Paddy, of course it's the most alive you feel because there's a mutual respect and there's trust and you, there. And you're brought in, it leaves you voice notes. It's the first, it seems that everybody's doing voice notes now, but it's been a thing that I only ever used to know from Paddy. You'd just leave voice notes all the time and he would leave them in the morning. You know, gone. I'm thinking about this for today. Let me know when you get there, and you just feel like it's a real collaborative piece. And I've done theatre work like that as well. You know, most recently um, on a Maxine Peake project, and you just feel a part of like yeah. this is collaborative and this is really interesting, and we're all in this together. But isn't that one of the reasons we got into it in the yeah, first but place? I don't always feel that. Do you but know you don't I mean? always feel it when you're guesting or stuff like that. You don't feel it always all the time because it's not always there yeah, all maybe, the time. That's maybe, that's the point. Maybe. But that's why I feel be alive. So it's nothing to do with being offered stuff or not offered stuff, but you feel more like valued and like creative and alive creatively, which makes me feel content and which I'll probably choose to say instead of happy. But um But also surely in that moment it's best for everybody because not just you, anybody in that situation is going to be producing the best work. Yeah. Because I they're grounded. So. Yeah. And you feel like you're you're safe to explore or give or not give, and yeah, I struggle with auditioning. Like I do audition loads, you know, and self tapes and stuff, but I, I I question myself too much and double question. And um, I know you never asked this question, but it's like I don't know what you're like, but like I remember when Tyrannosaur opened some really interesting doors, and suddenly I was getting seen for, seen for stuff that I could only ever imagine yeah. getting seen for. And um, I used to nail the first audition, and then I'd be sat in the room with a recall and surrounded by people who I've admired their work for years who I think, oh, they're not going to give me it when they've got that as an option, are they? So we, and then, like, before I go in for the second audition, I've already talked myself out of it, and I, I just have a fucking neuron panic attack in the room. Not literally, but, no. like, you know, I'm going under. <laughs> and I can barely speak, and I'm thinking, I fucked that up again. And um, I, I saw on Twitter a while ago about... There's a casting person talking about, like, you know, if you can't deliver in the audition process, you won't be able to deliver on set. And... I don't agree with that. I totally disagree with yeah. that because, you know, um, as I say, people have offered me work and I just smash it. And that's the, and, and sometimes people have offered me work and I've maybe not smashed it. <laughs> as, as is the way with everybody, yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I just think, just just give me it and I'll I'll fucking, I'll I'll be great for you. Yeah, but she can't, uh, whoever that was. <clears throat> well, it, it doesn't matter. And but it's it doesn't like, matter. It's no, it doesn't matter. not to discredit anybody, but I just not thought... At all, but... I don't agree with that. That's all I thought was. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It was just like, that's not my experience. My experience I, is if you give me the job, I'll, 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 like, I'll thrive. But if you put me in an audition room in that pressure and that situation, I kind of go under a bit. But it's a completely unnatural uh, scenario. Yeah, it is, yeah. It, uh, that's not, you're not 
on set. You're not... The other people aren't there. There's... No, I disagree. Yeah. I, I do disagree with that. And then maybe I'm taking them out of context, but that just that reading that statement, I thought, that's not my experience. Um, so happiest at work, yeah, in, in life, when I'm at my most happiest. When I'm in nature, probably. <clears throat> well, I was going to say because... When I'm in nature, I felt I went up to, like, um, I went camping on my own the other week. Like, obviously, when I'm with my kids, that's kind of a given. Do you know what I mean? I took my kids paddleboarding recently and then a couple of times and kayaking. And I'm like, oh, do I have to go for the Xbox? <laughs> and then when we get there, like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. Can we come next week? Yeah. You know. After battles, getting yeah, them out of there. Yeah, and they, they've, they've been since and they love it and they want to go again and stuff like that. But just nature. I love, I've got into running the last few years and I much prefer running in trails than I do the road. I went off to the lakes on my own the other week, took a one-man tent and kind of went wild swimming in a tarn up the mountain and wild swimming in, in Lake Coniston, which is still quite cold. It looked beautiful, though. Yeah, and just walked up the mountain and ran down it. I'm kind of quite technical running, so I really pelted it down the mountain, bouncing off rocks and stuff, and I just I feel alive. I just feel like... And you look down on nature... Oh, you kind of up at the, the old man of Coniston, you see Lake Coniston and other lakes and you see the Irish Sea and you just think, we are so small, you know what I mean? And, like, the world, God, whatever you believe in, like, nature, whatever, is just infinite, finite, you know? And I just, yeah, that's when I think I feel alive, when I'm kind of connecting with my own soul and nature, not to sound too kind of, but yeah. I'm just, like, yeah, I think... Happy, I don't I don't really go in for happy. Not that's when I feel content and alive and at one and just like yeah, I'm alright. And when I'm staying in good mental, emotional, spiritual well being and I'm just okay in my own skin without the distraction of a phone or music or telly, I can just sit. When I can do that then I know I'm I'm in a good place, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's when I'm looking that I'm after fix or I'm on right move looking at houses I can't afford, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe something's a bit out of tune here. But I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but, yeah, when I'm when I'm looking after myself and I'm in a good space and I can sit with myself, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right here, I'm content. Or, or when I'm in nature or when I'm running through woods or whatever, I just feel... I don't even have to be running, I could be walking or just like nature. Is, I found this out in later life. I mean, I yeah. always got kind of knew it. My mum and dad used to take us, you know, in nature as kids, but like <clears throat> I got distracted by partying and girls and, you know, life and and uh, I'm reconnecting with kind of all that over the last few years and I'm, well, and, and I'm loving it. It's important, but, you know... Life does get in the way. Paul, this has been a joy. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been fun. And another episode is done. What a delight Paul is. Um, if you haven't seen any of the films that we very briefly touched on, then do go back, do take a look at Dog Altogether, which is... Uh, Paddy's short film that which I think we discussed 
was pretty much shot for shot the first sort of, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes of uh, the feature film Tyrannosaur. Uh, do go back and, uh, yeah, gird your loins with that. It's uh, strong stuff. Um, well, look, here's hoping that from now on it's going to be person-to-person podcast recordings. I mean, if there's one thing I could... Well, no, it's not the one that there's many things I should wish for. That that would be way down the list of more important things. It's just a podcast. Um, but, yeah, I really hope we get to do more of these. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that there will be some remotes coming up. But still, look, if we can carry on getting the episodes out, that's all that matters, really, isn't it? Yeah. Look, thank you so much for downloading. Please do me a little favour. If you can't support us on Patreon, I know sometimes it's difficult. Month to month, people drop off, people come in. If you can support us on Patreon, we are patreon.com forward slash the two shop podcast. Um, if you like what we're doing, these free podcasts that we're giving week in, week out, and going through the back catalogue, I mean, just go and pick who you haven't listened to yet. You may be surprised. Um, yeah, if you can support us there, that'd be fantastic. If you can't, here's what I'd really like you to do. If this month you can't afford to throw us a few quid, that's okay. Don't worry, somebody else is going to do that for you this month. Uh, could you go and tell a handful of friends or post about it on social media? Uh, that would be really good because, you know, spreading the word really, really helps us. So uh, do that. You know where we are. We're on Twitter, at Two Shot Pod, Instagram, Facebook. If you want to drop us an email, you can. It's always lovely to hear from you. We are twoshotpod at gmail.com. See, I know the email address now after five years. Um, well, look, I've got to go. I've got to pack some cases and get out of Dodge quick as possible. But I will see you all next week. So until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care of yourself, all right? The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com